I did a sermon on Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. I love that name, Jehovah Shalom. And I mentioned that part of Jehovah Shalom uh, being our peace is that he brings us uh, by letting peace reign in our hearts. So I want to just give a very brief review of what I said, and then let's go in something more in depth. Uh, in Colossians 3.15, I love that scripture. I think it's one of the most important ones Paul gave us. And it tells us, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. And here in the New Testament Greek, the word rule in your hearts, rule in our modern English, could be translated umpire, because that's what it means in the original Greek. Uh, so we could read this, and let the peace of God rule as an umpire in your hearts. And the umpire, right in baseball, makes the final decision, ball, strike, He's got the final word. You don't like it, you get thrown out of the game. He is the final word. The peace Jesus gives us is meant to have the final word in our hearts. It's meant to act as a guide and a rule, especially when we're making decisions, um, which means two things to us, as I had said Sunday. We need to let this peace reign. Uh, there's an old expression, at all, at all costs, get peace. Whenever something is not right, go with peace at all costs. Uh, my wife and I, if we bring things into the home and we're not sure about it, we don't think this is of the Lord, throw in the garbage. At all costs, get peace. We don't want to be questioning things here. So Christ's word in us has the final authority, uh, that, that, that peace reigning in us. Worry doesn't have the final word. Fear of tomorrow doesn't have the final word. Fear of the grave doesn't have the final word. Rather, the peace of Christ in us makes decisions for us. So we need to let peace talk to us. And if we're believers, you already know the voice. It's a matter of letting it reign. Uh, listen to it, um, not with an ear, but with an inner sense. And we know when something is right or wrong. We just have that inner sense, go with the, what's right. Go with peace leading you and guiding you. The second thing is that it is a decision maker as a final decision that we get from Holy Spirit. So the peace in us will say yes or no, just like uh, the umpire, the decision maker, it makes the final decision. So for us, um, peace is something that we listen to internally and let it be the umpire in our hearts that makes final decisions for us. Let's keep that real simple. I want it though to take this one step further tonight um, to talk about uh, receiving guidance from Holy Spirit in making big decisions in life. Um, one problem we always see that many people are very impulsive in decision making and, and, and big decisions. And that tends to get them into a lot of trouble. We have certainly seen that over the years. Uh, often decisions they make, they regret. Uh, marrying the wrong person is, is usually a classic. I remember uh, a lady, she was in her 60s, I think. And um, she said she wanted to get married. I said, oh, isn't that nice? And who's the gentleman? And tell us about, oh, I'd like to have you meet him. So I met the guy. So where did you meet? We met at a prayer meeting. Oh, really? Isn't that nice? Our eyes looked across the room when we saw each other, and we just knew we were meant to be married. And inside I'm going, oh, brother, why are they talking to me? Don't you want Pastor Jim? <laughs> well, he wasn't. I don't think, I think you were employed then at the time. 
I just decided, I'm like, these two, you got to be kidding me. How old are you? And you're talking like this? So I think you want to, like, walk this out a little bit before you're rushing to get married. No, they got married in a month. It wasn't me that did it. And sure enough, they're divorced in six months. My gosh, you make one of these most important decisions in your life based on we just knew it was the Lord's will. Oh, gosh. Um, that shouldn't be happening, uh, especially big decisions like that. Oh, my gosh. That, I guess it could work out, but let's just say 99.9% .9 of the time it doesn't. Uh, another example is um, buying a big-ticket item. Purchases are a big deal. We should never make a purchase impulsively, especially if it's expensive. Uh, if you want to make a, a decision to buy something, uh, it's always good to say, all right, I'm going to buy this. Make it like a final decision, but don't buy it. Then wait two weeks. And if two weeks goes by, you'll find out if you still want to buy that or not. You'll be surprised how many times you don't. And that can save you a lot of money. Uh, so in two weeks, you, you basically take the test. Is peace still here over this? Okay. If it's not, then don't buy it. In fact, in military cadets... I don't know if it was prior to World War II or after World War II. They were always told, uh, if you have to make an important decision, wait one day. Because one day could make uh, a big uh, difference in not making a wrong decision or avoiding a wrong decision. Uh, so tonight we're going to look a little bit about that and making big decisions. Um, I recently was looking for a, 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 a recipe for a German red cabbage. I love it. And... Uh, so I found one German website where this German lady had her had a recipe, and she said, "Well, this recipe has uh, 365,276 versions. In other words, everyone's got their own version on this recipe. So here's mine. So what I'm trying to present tonight means that this is not the last word on getting instruction on making big decisions. It's just one that you could look at and use as a good model to help you." in making good decisions, okay? So, let's move things around here. Uh, I could use a, two or three people, and how about if you pass this out to everybody in the room? Anybody. Faithful men, strong ladies, anything. There we go. Just pass it out to the guys there. And we'll pass it out in the room there, and we're going to work the rest of the night off that. So, Let's do the little chat here with that. I don't know how long we'll go tonight. I'm sure not very long. Uh, we have used this many times in the past, um, or, or, or it's available here to the pastors to use, um, in one of the courses that we have taught here on the past on communion with God. We've used this uh, towards the end of that course as a possible uh, guide. So... These lovely people are handing them out to you. So, does everybody have one? We have hands up still. If you didn't get one, just put your hand up. Okay. Everyone got one? Real good. All right, well, first of all, on the front here, you see a classic Greek-Roman structure has the classic uh, roof, the classic pillars that hold up the roof, and the foundation. And on the uh, upper left-hand corner, it says, for creative 
decision making. On the right side it says for discovering truth, because we want to find out here what is the truth of God for us in making a big decision. And in the middle there it says uh, built upon the skillful interaction of the six pillars. So this is common sense. One of these pillars is not going to be able to hold up this roof. It's going to collapse. Two pillars, not a good choice. The more pillars, the more the roof is held up. Now this does not mean you have to have all six pillars lined up in order to make a decision, but the more the better. Uh, and we see here, they put this on the top there, which I like. Uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's from the Westminster Catechism. I like that. That's a nice quote. And then we have at the bottom here the foundation. It says a working knowledge of the Bible. Now, you, now if you're really good with scripture, you'll say, but Jesus is the foundation. I know that. But it also says that Jesus is the word of God. Right? Right. So uh, we're talking about a good working knowledge of handling the scriptures in making decisions. The better you are with that, the more chances you'll make a correct decision and avoid a horrible decision. So, a pivotal question here uh, underneath that is to determine the relative emphasis given to each pillar. Now, we're going to go over that in a minute. Uh, and that is, when you look at each pillar, how much Bible knowledge do I really possess for this? And, what ha and how has God gifted me when I look at this? Now, if you look at the flip side, you have a chart there. And each of these pillars, uh, going from one to six, there's the key verse that goes along with it. And those that wrote this out were very good to use different Bible translations. How do we experience that pillar and what is it compared to? And the bottom here, of course, the objective is to have all six pillars in agreement before making a major decision. And that doesn't mean what color do I choose to color my hair this week. I mean, come on. But who I marry, that's pretty big. Where do I move? I was just talking to a brother in the Lord in the parking lot this Sunday. They're making a big decision, should they or should they not move? That's a big decision. Uh, should I move out of state? Should I not move out of state? Big decisions, uh, et cetera. Which college do I go to? Or should I take this job, that job? Very big decisions. On the back part here is a kind of a worksheet uh, that says creative decision-making using six pillars. That you can photocopy for yourself. Uh, if to use that in the future, that goes along with this chart. So let's go back to the front here. We're going to pop back and forth here. Let's go back to the front, and let's look at the first pillar immediately to the left. And you'll notice here on most of them it all says illuminated because Holy Spirit turns the light bulb on inside of us. He gives us the light where we go, aha, that aha moment, as it's been called. I got it where all of a sudden we just got understanding where we lacked it. Uh, you could be reading the scripture and all of a sudden, boing, the, the aha happens inside of you. And where you get illuminated and scripture becomes alive to you. It's not just uh, ink on paper anymore. Holy Spirit made the connection in your heart and made it alive. A sign of you're born again. Because that's only available to those who have Jesus as their Savior, Holy Spirit dwelling within them. So the first one here is illuminated scriptures. That is the scriptures that come alive inside of us. Uh, you know, obviously we read a lot of scriptures in the Bible, and we need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. But some of them when you read, boing, they just all of a sudden talk to you. All of a sudden they just grabbed you. That's illuminated scriptures. Now on the flip side here, let's look at that. 
horizontally as we go across here, it talks about pillar number one, illuminated scriptures. And the verse they use is Luke chapter 24, verse 32, out of the King James. They said to one another, did, your, did, our, did not our hearts burn within us? That's the illumination part. While he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures. Jesus still does that to this very day. Uh, through Holy Spirit, he opens the scriptures to us and we get the illumination where it means something to us very personally. Um, how is that experienced as we go across here? This pillar is experienced as Holy Spirit illuminates scripture to us. We sense them as they leaping off the page or just coming to our attention spontaneously. In other words, I didn't go to look for that scripture, but boy, did that just grab me. We have to realize this wasn't just a happen chance. This is Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us, directing us. This is normal for the New Testament believer, especially the Spirit-filled New Testament believer. Then we move across here, and it says how it's compared with. This pillar could be viewed, and it's enhanced biblicalism. Too fancy of a word. We go beyond studying the Bible with our intellects only, in that we ask Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures to our hearts and our minds. You know, that's real important. A lot of people, they're believers, they love the Lord, but they don't go deep. They live very surfacey life as believers. They may go to church. They may know how to act like a Christian. They clean up their mouth. and have a dirty mouth anymore. They know what not to do, but they don't go deep. They might read their Bibles, put it down, read them, put it down, but they don't Ask Holy Spirit to teach them through the Word of God. It's very important when you go to the Word of God. It's okay just to read it. But when you go to the Word of God and you're going to get serious about it, pray first. Ask Holy Spirit to teach you today. Ask Holy Spirit to make these scriptures come alive to me today. Lord, Holy Spirit, teach me what I need to know and hear from you today as I read. You'll find a very different experience. Because He will. Not every single scripture, but something will grab you and come to your attention. And hopefully you have a little notebook with you with a piece of paper and a pen, and you're writing down what Holy Spirit is telling you. So you don't lose that. You take it captive and retain it. That's a real cool thing to do. Very few people really do that. And therefore, very few people really get all that they can get out of the Word of God. It should not be a dry experience. Because Holy Spirit is there and in you and wants to make it an exciting experience. Will we let him? He's not going to violate our free will. Right? We all have a decision. Lord, I want to be taught of you today. Or, no, Lord, I don't want to be taught of you today. Just that black and white. So I encourage you, when you read the word of God, read it purposely. Ask Holy Spirit to teach you something today. Especially if you're seeking him on something. Lord, I just need your guidance today. The Lord will be good for that. And you can write that down. So when, if you have a question you're posing before you, and um, let's say it's moving. Should I move out of state? A real big one. We had, <laughs> we had one guy here. Hope he doesn't hear this tape. We had one guy here. He moved out of state. I think it was kind of an impulsive thing because he wasn't making as much money here as he wanted to. So he moved out of state. You've got to be careful because sometimes there's not greener grass on the other side of the fence. Sometimes there's no grass at all. And he moved to another state, and it was a disaster for him. And he sent 
Pastor Walt a letter blaming him for letting him move. Excuse me, we're not a cult. We're not going to tell you you have to ask us permission to move. Run from that church fast. Come on. He just couldn't realize, hey, you missed it, guy. You didn't pray about this at all. You moved impulsively, and now you're eating the fruit of it. Now, can we pray with you and help you to make decisions better while you're down there or wherever you went? It turns out it did work out for him. Life didn't fall apart. He even ended up finding a wife. Well, that can't be bad, right? He got married, and uh, so things did improve a great deal. But um, the first thing we do is, what do I have inside of me or that the Word of God has spoke to me that speaks to me on this issue? Now, sometimes you won't have a scripture inside of you for that. Therefore, you search the scriptures out. And you'll find something that will speak to your situation. That's very personal. I remember when my wife, uh, before she was my wife, she attended a church in Trenton. And she occasionally visited here in Tom's River because her parents lived here in a senior village. And she, attended, uh, she visited the First Assembly of God here in Tom's River uh, back in the late 70s. And um, she was really wondering, gee, should I go to Tom's River? Should I stay here in Trenton? And it wasn't a scripture, but they, it was a hymnal they used in the assemblies. And she looked at it and said, gather with the saints by the riverside. And that really meant something to her. And she said, I'm moving to Tom's River. And that's where I met her, at the Assemblies of God. She, she took my parking space. I'm pulling in and zip, this little car goes right in. Oh, did I take your space? No, not at all. But how about that? If she hadn't moved here, I wouldn't have met her. Wouldn't have found her a little car that took my space. So there you go. So they can come in unusual ways, these type of guidance. But... Um, that was a moving issue for her, and it wasn't literally a scripture, but it was a Christian hymn that talked to her all of a sudden and illuminated and kind of answered a question inside of her. So, hey, you know, look for scriptures to answer the kind of guidance you're looking for from the Lord. Okay, so that's just one. All right, let's go to the other pillar. And, of course, try to find as much as you can. I mean, obviously, if you're thinking of paying off a debt, you'll find a lot of scriptures that talk about paying your debts off. You can look them up and let them speak to you. I remember one time there was a scripture in Proverbs that said, if you have it with you today, do not wait tomorrow to pay it off. Give it today. And I think there was something I, I had to pay. I said, I'll do that next week. And I heard the scripture from Proverbs talk to me inside of me. I said, never mind, I'll do it now. Wow. Amazing. So you want to get as many of those as you possibly can. Okay, next one. Illuminated thoughts in the mind. Okay. Our mind serves our spirit. When we get born again, we don't check out our brains. We use them. We submit them to the Holy Spirit. So that's part of what we do, but it's not the final answer. You'll never find the Lord with your rational mind. You'll find the Lord in the spirit realm by faith. So although rational thoughts are important, they're not guidance all by themselves. Because you can talk yourself out of anything or into anything with the right kind of argument. And I'm sure we all do that. Okay, number two here on the other page, horizontally. Uh, the pillar number two, illuminated thoughts of one's mind. And they got the scripture here from Luke chapter 1. It seems fittingly for me as well, having investigated everything carefully. That's rational mind. From the beginning to write it out to you, a consecutive order Almost excellent 
Theophilus. All right, so investigating everything carefully. That's rational mind stuff. Apparently, Luke is saying here, before he wrote his gospel, he actually did some type of a research study of all those that were involved in Jesus' earth walk and compiled notes together and allowed Holy Spirit to use that to help him write the gospel of Luke. Luke was a bright guy. He was a physician. And yeah, God used then his rational mind in a godly way. So, you know, we do have thoughts. And, th and Holy Spirit inspires thoughts in us. And then you've heard of what? Clever ideas, right? When they pop into people's heads, let's give God the credit for that. Creative thoughts, you know, hey, those are things that people have been made, made millions of dollars over when they pop into their heads. Uh, so rational mind is important. Thinking things out is important. Uh, just to have the rational thought of, you know, it would be better if I saved my money than waste it. That sounds like a, a God thing to me. So, you know, illuminated thoughts. All right, that we have here, how is this experience? This pillar is experienced as Holy Spirit guiding our reasoning process through spontaneous impressions. Let's stop there for a second. How do you know God talked to me? It means it came spontaneously. It wasn't premeditated. Because if we think on something long enough, that's called premeditated. We'll come up with an answer inside of our heads. We did that out of our own souls. But when thoughts pop into your head that you were not thinking about, that are not premeditated, very often that's Holy Spirit speaking to you. And the tough part is you've got to recognize it. Because it's easy to go, ah, poof, eh, forget that. We tend to not take them seriously, but those spontaneous thoughts that hit us are very often, they didn't come from my brains. That was a Holy Spirit drop thought in my mind. And we've got to catch those things. No, don't go down that road. Go down that road. And who knows what you just avoided by not going down that road. I remember one time I was in Beechwood. If you know how Beechwood is, it's like a grid. There's stop signs on one street, stop, not stop signs on other streets. I used to live there, and I was driving down the street that did not have the stop sign. The crossroad had the stop sign, and I heard loudly in me, stop now. I stopped. Guy went right through a stop sign at about 40 miles an hour. Would have sent me into the woods. That was a spontaneous thought that I did not think of that just hit me all at once, and I stopped, almost startled. What's that? And the car blows by. That's Holy Spirit saving your life. And, uh, but that's also illuminated thought coming to you that you didn't produce yourself. Right? And I'm sure many people here can nod their heads. They've had experiences like that. You didn't know that was Holy Spirit. It was. So here we have um, Holy Spirit guiding us our reasoning process through spontaneous impressions. It's obvious that Luke's gospel was more than simply an investigative research of his own mind. As he wrote this, uh, it has stood as the word of God for 2,000 years. I kind of said that already. Okay, so this is where we do use our mind and we plan things out on paper. We seek God. Should I be doing this, Lord? Should I do this? Should I do that? Um, like if people are going to move, they might want to make a list of why I should, why I shouldn't. What would be the benefits? What would be not the benefits? Nothing wrong with that. But we're asking Holy Spirit in this process to give us understanding that I get the mind of God on this. And all of a sudden, certain things might be going, no, I really don't want that in my life. Hmm, why did I think that? That's Holy Spirit through our reasoning process giving us understanding. So as we go across here, how is it compared to? This pillar could be viewed and is enhanced 
rationalism, where we go beyond the simple rationalism in that we allow Holy Spirit to guide our thinking through combining intuition and reason rather than guiding it ourselves. Anybody remember the famous story of uh, George Washington Carver and the peanut? Uh, he, was, he's a, he was a godly man, a Christian man. He was praying to the Lord one day. I think it was something like, show me the mass of your great creation. He said, you can't handle it. Start with the peanut. Now, he was a scientist. And look what all was brought from that just one simple life devoted to this one research. Uh, amazing. And there's, a whole, there's books written on it. Uh, that was Holy Spirit using his scientific mind, illuminating it, coming up with ideas that nobody else did. You had someone at your house one time. I forgot the guy's name. Harold somebody. He was an inventor. Or you had him in the area. What was his last name? It was Harold, wasn't it? He was an inventor, and years and years and years and years, he's a Christian. Years and years and years and years ago, when the dinosaurs walked on the earth, uh, the United States government came to him and said, we're having a problem with our aircraft. Something's not blah, 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 blah. He said, okay, gentlemen, let's pray. And they looked at this guy like he's a lunatic. But this guy's a scientist. I'll be right back. So he goes to the side room, and he gets on his knees and prays, and he comes back. Here's what I got from God. And there's this little tube. I don't know if it's a, a, a torpedo tube or not. I'm not sure. It's a little tube. And um, it was so creative, every plane from that point forth had to have that invention on it to operate properly. He was a scientist. He certainly had the brains. But God illuminated his mind in a way he could understand the concept. What's that tube? I know you fly. That tube they use for, for, uh, for the ultimator? Torpedo too. I was right. I got it right. So anyway, there's an example of illuminated thoughts. Okay, next, pillar number three. Illuminated witness in the heart. Now we're getting into some kind of deeper things here that bypass our mind a little bit. On the flip side here, we have illuminated witness of one's heart. And here's our scripture. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why do you reason these things in your hearts? This is where Holy Spirit brings us word of knowledge, word of wisdom. These are gifts of the Spirit operating. And the next uh, one here, this pillar is experienced as an impression perceived in your spirit. Deep inner peace or unrest are often part of this experience. Well, that's the Colossians 3.15 scripture we read. Right? Letting peace rule. But come on, haven't you ever met somebody one time and all of a sudden you go, don't trust this person. That's the Spirit of God talking to you. Warning you up front. Watch this one. Don't trust them. And uh, wow. That's a perceived witness of the heart. So, you might be, we're using the moving example here. You might want to move someplace. I don't know about you, when I've looked at places before I bought a house, walked right in and go, nah, this one ain't for me. It just doesn't, it doesn't sell well in here. Not for me. Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, don't even look here. Yet, when we finally found the house we bought, we looked to one look at it and said, this is the one. We just knew it as soon as we saw it. My wife's like, you don't know that. We'll have to see. Well, it looks to me like this is the one. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we don't know how much it is. But we ended up buying it. Uh, so, hey, the Holy Spirit's witness in your heart is a big voice. That can help lead you and guide you. I've known people, they want to move to certain cities. You know, they're not this city. 
no, not that city. And moving to one, going to one, wow, this city somehow fits, and I don't know why. That's illumination of the heart. Obviously, why would you move into a place where it just didn't feel right inside of you? Wouldn't do that. All right, all the way over here to the extreme right. This pillar could be viewed and enhanced as hedonism in that one's own feelings feels good. However, in our case, we're going with the feel in our hearts rather than the feel of the flesh. Okay. Our next pillar here that we want to look at is pillar number four. And this is the illuminated counsel of others. Now, this is a two-edged sword. This can be a blessing and a curse. Let's look at the next page here, illuminated counsel. This is the good one from Proverbs, great scripture. Where there is no counsel, where, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And next one, how is it experienced? This pillar is experienced as one asks his or her spiritual advisors to seek God for confirmation, additions, adjustments in the guidance they sense God has given them. So this is where you ask a prayer partner, a pastor to pray for you to see if the Lord is telling them anything different or confirming. Next one, this pillar could be viewed as enhanced humanism as we are receiving the counsel coming through others. However, we do go beyond people's wisdom and ask them to impart the wisdom of God to us. So a two-edged sword here. Too many people are moved by the opinion of others. That'll get you into a lot of trouble. Uh, it says in Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Christians can give you counsel of the ungodly if it doesn't agree with God's word. So you got to be careful there. Uh, yes, I'm sure there's people you trust in their counsel, but you don't run with it because they can be wrong. Uh, I remember one couple uh, who came to me to get married. I thought, these people will not last. They have the happiest marriage as possible. I was 100% wrong. <laughs> Good for them that I'm wrong. Uh, this is Pastor Bob married them. That's why they were blessed. He did, really. Uh, and, um, yeah, they're still happy to this very day, 20 years later, whatever it is. Hey, I got it wrong. So uh, sometimes people's counsel that you might trust them can get it wrong. So you don't run with somebody's counsel all by itself. But if you have enough people saying, you know, I wouldn't marry that one. That's a mistake. I wouldn't marry her. I wouldn't marry him. And they're all telling you the same thing. You better listen. Something's wrong here when they're all saying the same thing. Right? Uh, or if people are saying, well, I wouldn't move in that area or that neighborhood. That's not a great idea. And everyone's saying the same thing. I would take that real serious in decision making. So here's where the illumination of others' counsel can be a great blessing to us as long as we don't make it the biggest pillar of all, which a lot of people try to do. Because uh, a lot of people want somebody else to tell them what to do. Maybe the, the problem is too big, the situation is too big, and they don't trust themselves to make the right decision. All the more reason, don't run into a decision. You can only take this as one pillar by itself. And, of course, you can't hold up this entire structure with one pillar. All right, next here, it's getting a little deeper. Illuminating 
understanding of, of life's fruit. Okay, this is something people tend to ignore. Um, we flip on the other side here, and it says, of course, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorns, figs from thistles? Of course not. So she'll know them by their fruits. So evident fruit that you have in your life is very, very important. Um, going along the side here. This pillar is experienced as one asks God to give him insight and understanding concerning the fruit life is demonstrating. All right, what do you already have in your life that you're really good at and you know of and that's part of you? God gives him revelation as to what he has caused the fruit. Next one on the side there, this pillar could be viewed as enhanced empiricism in that we're, he gives you the negative side of this, so in case people go, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Um, this pillar could be viewed as enhanced empiricism in that it, we are experiencing life carefully. However, we go beyond our understanding of life and ask God to give us his understanding of what we are seeing before us. So basically, um, uh, life's experience. How has God gifted you personally? I remember Kenneth Hagin Sr. told a true story one time uh, from the 1930s of a very good evangelist, great at leading people to Christ. So this guy tells Brother Hagin, I believe the Lord wants me to teach the Word of God. And Brother Hagin looked at him and said, oh, no, don't do that. You have a third grade education. Don't do that. Don't do that. You need help. Don't do that. Stick with evangelism. Well, the guy wouldn't listen. And he got things so messed up, I think the denomination he belonged to dropped him. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, he didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, don't go beyond what you're gifted in. You know, uh, uh, I remember one time, uh, I won't mention his name because you know him. He's a brother in the Lord. Uh, he was in a Bible school in Ramah. And uh, he was looking for a part-time job with other Bible school students. So they decided to be plumbers. They know nothing about plumbing. So they go over to this lady's house to help them. And they nearly destroyed the place. Why? God's going to give us the revelation of how to do this. That's ridiculous. Go read a book. Go to plumbing school. Don't think God's going to tell you miraculously or, gosh, quit Bible school and start your own school somewhere. Come on. Uh, so if you're not good at something, don't act like you are. Right? So go with the experiences that you have in life. I've seen people get into jobs that they have no understanding of, but they believe God wants them in it. You don't know anything about it. Why are you going into a job that you are totally clueless? I, we, I met a guy one time. They were getting married. He was real young, like 18 years old. I said, so what do you like uh, going to do for a living? Oh, man, I want to be a professional drummer. I'm a professional drummer. Oh, really? Wow. How long have you been uh, doing the drums? Oh, I don't know how to play. Huh? I'm going to learn. Going to get married, support a family when you learn how to play the drums. Never happened. He became a chef. He, actually, a pretty good one. Whatever that, whatever that, I don't know. But anyway, uh, so again, what do you have in life that you know of? And of course, if you don't know, go learn. No one's too old to learn, right? No one's too old to change careers. There was a famous lawsuit years ago. This guy wanted to enter a, a medical school. He was 40 years old, and they told him, no, he was too old. He sued. It went to the Supreme Court, and they had to let him into medical school. How dare you tell this man he can't make a career change at 40 years old? 
Who do you think you are talking to him like that? We had somebody here we knew real well. Unfortunately, he passed away. He was a neurosurgeon. Richie? Remember Richie? Hated medicine. He quit and became an expert in finances and investments. I became a millionaire. He was obviously a very brilliant man. Uh, yeah, right. He passed away suddenly, unfortunately. But he was, he was a neurosurgeon and said, I don't like this. <gasps> Wait a minute. <laughs> How many years did you take you to get this far? I don't like He made a career change like in his mid-40s. And he became an expert in investments uh, where millionaires sought him out for advice. Incredible. Uh, so there's an example. I don't know, but I'll go learn. So the point is, hey, if you don't know something, no one's too old to learn. No one's too old to pick up a new career or, or, or whatever you have, get better at it. All right, next here. So that's part of your decision making. Like if I'm going to go move here and I don't know much about real estate or much about houses I'm going to buy, I'm sure going to go find someone who knows more than I do and give me the, the, the benefit of their knowledge to help me where I'm blind in these areas, right? All right, the last one here is God's inner voice through dreams, visions, prophetic word, and journaling. This gets real deep. And notice it's not the only pillar. Some people live their lives like it is. That's a mistake. Uh, as we look at the bottom here uh, from the book of Acts, and it shall come to pass in the last days, Saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. There is the supernatural illumination of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And it's cool. It's really, really cool. Because it's something you can't learn, something you can't uh, study hard enough to get. Holy Spirit is just good in his sovereignty in bringing it upon us. And we embrace it. We should heavily embrace it. And it says here, this pillar is experienced when you receive direct revelation from God through dreams, visions, and journaling. Journaling is the writing out of your prayers and God's answers to those prayers. This pillar could be viewed as enhanced mysticism. In that way, we just go beyond just any spirit encounter, but we pursue, pursue Holy Spirit encounter. Okay, this is the things that can make or break decisions. These are things where God can truly bring you something that you never could have imagined that could have been possible. Um, but unfortunately, there's a personality in Christianity that runs with this. It's like the only pillar that exists to hold up this roof. We call them kooks. We don't judge them, but we call them kooks. They do it to themselves. They're unteachable. They won't. Uh, allow the illumination of Scripture to talk to them. They won't allow the counsel of the body of Christ to talk to them. They know because God told me. And they're out there in, in, in droves. And they usually make very, very bad decisions. And over and over again. Oh boy. Uh, when this works right, it is really sweet and wonderful. Uh, notice the part here on journaling. It's good to pick up a habit of journaling. Now, those that profusely journal will do much better at this. Much, much, much better. Because in that journaling, you can read back in how God has been leading you, things he's been saying to you. You can find patterns, and you find the counsel of the Lord already through the dreams, 
visions, and prophetic word. Because as you speak, sit there, God can give you personal prophetic word about your life. Now's not the time for this. In 10 years from now, this will happen. Things like that. And you get a clear direction of where you need to be going. Especially with the, with the call of God. The call of God usually comes very gray, very general. It gets more and more specific as you walk in faith to walk it out. That should be normal. Um, so journaling is very important. Those who sporadically journal, it doesn't work as well for them. I'm a sporadic journaler. I'm not a devoted journaler. I'm a sporadic one. But I'm not a non-one, but I'm a sporadic one. Uh, those that don't journal at all will find it a lot harder to hear the voice of God on a consistent basis because journaling forces you to um, find the uh, voice of God in you on a consistent basis. And that's a whole different teaching that will take a little time to do. Maybe we'll do that one night because there's a lot of different ways to journal. There is no only one way. Um, if you... If this is new to you, one thing you could simply do is at the end of the day, before sheepy comes on you and you go to sleep, uh, ask yourself some questions and see what the Holy Spirit brings in your mind and write them down. Make sure you have a date. Oh, gosh, there's so many things you could ask. One Roman Catholic priest had a great guide. He said at the end of the day you should ask, did, others, uh, did I see Christ in others? Did others see Christ in me? That's good. I like that. That's a good way to start. Something simple. Or at the end of the day, Lord, where did I hear your voice today? And where did I ignore you? Something that simple. That could be just a simple start to journaling, asking some simple questions. Now, there's other ways to journal. That's only one type. But people who get into a habit of that, you'll find your communion with God will increase you'll find you'll be getting answers, and that encourages you to do more journaling. Why do this if it's a dry experience? Who wants to do that? But, if it's a, but, but when it becomes an exciting thing, and you really start to train yourself and your senses, your spiritual senses, on how to hear the voice of the Lord, oh, that's real cool stuff. That gets almost addictive. You want more. And the Lord is calling you to more, right? But we have to make sure he's that priority of my day, that this is that important. A great little book to read on that topic is um, from a, actually it was a Roman Catholic uh, brother in the 1600s, a Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. And it's called Communion with God. Is that the name? No. Practicing the Presence of God. Thank you. Practicing the Presence. It's a real little booklet. It's actually a series of letters between him and a nun who lived in a different town, she had a horrible communion with God. He had an extremely good one. And she would write him for advice, and they would write back and forth. And from that little correspondence, you learn a great deal. It's a very small book, but a super book to own and a good book to read. The point is, our hearing God is best with practice. So thus the name of the book, Practicing the Presence of God. He's with us. You don't have to talk him into talking. We have to get better at listening. Let's say those of you who are old enough that you actually played the radio at one time and you had a dial that you turned. Remember those days? Um, if you got up in the morning to turn on your radio and you turned your dial, hey, where's my station? You don't get anything. Do you say, that station, they stopped sending their signal? No, you say, what's wrong with my receiver? Why am I not picking this up? That's us. God's always talking to us. Father God is always talking. 
The problem is the receiver. God's not talking to me. Stop the foolishness. Yes, he is. You're not listening. You don't listen with your ears. You listen inside yourself. And you have to sharpen those spiritual senses. And when you tune in and start to get it, whoo, that's good stuff. That's really, really good stuff. And again, journaling is a great tool to help us practice the presence of the Lord and make it as simple as possible. Harold Hill. Harold Hill. That was the guy with the little tube on the airplane. Harold Hill. Didn't he write some bizarre book one time uh, that... Didn't he write some bizarre book one time that attacked evolution? From me, from me to you by way of the zoo? From goo to you by the way of the zoo. That was the title. It was an anti-evolution book. From goo to you by the way of the zoo. Actually, it makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, very obviously he's home with the Lord, but a great man of God and genius, Howard Hill. Praise the Lord. You can probably look him up online to find all about him. So anyway here, our topic here is making big decisions. And it says at the bottom here again, to have all six pillars in agreement before making a major decision. You know, if you don't, don't feel bad. You probably won't. It's extremely rare to have all six pillars lined up at once. You would have to have an incredible communion with God and good for you. This would be memorized at that point. But, again, if all you have as your um, pillar to make a decision, I got the counsel of others and it really feels good inside of me, illumination of the heart, that's it. That could be a very weak decision, especially if it's a big one. I've seen people invest money in large amounts and lose it by very foolish investment concepts. If they had something like this, they probably wouldn't have made a foolish decision like that. Um, so this is only supposed to be a guide. Like I said, there's others out there, but I like this one because the people who put this out were big, are big on communion with God, spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is my teacher. Holy Spirit is my guide. This isn't a one-time thing when I'm trying to make a decision. This is a lifetime experience that I make decisions through. All right? So this is a good one. But at least it causes you to think in more in terms of our eyes just met and we fell in love. We need a little more than that. Otherwise, you're heading for disaster. Well, my friend invested in that company, and your friend could lose his money and you with him. Real smart. That's your only decision because your friend gave you a hot stock tip. Really? Incredible. Incredible. I met this old man one time. He was convinced. I don't know what they call the dollar in uh, Thailand, but he was convinced it was going to skyrocket. What is it called? Oh, whatever. He was convinced it was going to skyrocket. Now's the time to invest in it. He lost almost everything he had because whatever he was reading about he didn't have a broad enough picture to make a decision and made a massive, massive mistake. And also he was being led by greed. Greed will always bring you to disaster. So anyway here, I hope this helps a little bit. But I hope, okay, good. I hope more than anything what you get from this is there will be big decisions in life all of us have to make. They're always going to come. They're never going to go away. Unfortunately, too many of them are brought upon us by crisis. 
And that's really a hard time to make a decision. Because when you're in crisis, you can't make a decision. Your mind is fogogin, you can't think, you can't pray, you need other people to pray for you. Amen? That was a Bobby Wright. Was that? They're yours, I don't want them back. Uh, anyway, so, you know, let's prepare before those big decisions have to come. And the really the best answer is, are you developing your own personal relationship with the Lord? Wherever we're at, it can always be better. And if you don't know where to start, again, two simple things. Start by praying before you read the Word of God, asking Holy Spirit to teach you. If you make a habit out of that, you'll find your Bible reading time will drastically change. And second, uh, start the concept of journaling to write a dialogue between you and the Lord and see where that goes. After a few months, you'll start to see patterns. You might see your own insecurities. You might see God tried to bring you into greater boldness, all kinds of things. And you will see a pattern of what God is saying. It takes time, but it's really a venture worth having. So I'm talking to myself here because I'm intermittent. i got to do this a little bit more. Amen. So if you've never tried that, I highly recommend it. Uh, and they sell such pretty journal books today you can buy, you know. Or use your little yellow pad, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, but um, the point is, um, do something with this relationship with the Lord that we have. It's not just supposed to be a ticket to heaven. My gosh, what a shallow life did we live this side of heaven if that's what it was all about. Holy Spirit is constantly talking to us, constantly drawing us, constantly pulling us, constantly wanting to spend time with us on a personal level, and we keep pushing him away by the distractions of life, the busyness of life, the things that rob our time with the Lord, where most of it is like, what did I spend time doing that for? Watching that show, that was a waste of my time. Right, we've all been there. So uh, I would just encourage you, if you take anything away from here, is start looking at your own personal communion with the Lord and enhance it. He's waiting for you. He's always waiting for us. Always waiting. And he's so patient. He's always waiting. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you do patiently wait for us to spend time with you. You do patiently wait for us to bring us abundant counsel and guidance. Father God, we want that. We don't trust in our own minds to come up with that all on our own. We don't trust the counsel of others to come up with that all on our own. And sometimes they just can't give us counsel from what only you can give us. Father God, lead us by your Spirit. We say yes tonight, Father, in our hearts to you and say yes, we want to walk with you deeper. We want to walk with you in a deeper communion. We want to make this a priority of our days. Make different men and women of us by next year that we wouldn't even recognize ourselves from what we look like today. Lord God, lead us and guide us. We invite you in our lives to draw us. And we know, Lord, you'll be there all the time waiting for us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.